News. 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 New York City. FAQ NYC podcast getting more and more interesting by the minute. FAQ. It's FAQ NYC, the New Yorker's podcast from the newsroom by and for New Yorkers the city. I'm Professor Christina Greer here with Harry Siegel, my favorite New Yorker, and let's jump right in with just some of the news from another jam-packed week in New York City. Hey, Chrissy. So, deep breath. Manhattan U.S. Attorney Damian Williams on Monday said that his office would ask a federal judge to appoint a receiver to take control of Rikers Island and the city's other jails from Mayor Eric Adams. We cannot wait any longer, said Williams. Adams, also on Monday, announced that Eddie Caban, would be the city's new police commissioner, with the Bronx native who'd been serving in an acting role as commissioner since Kichan Sewell's departure, becoming the first Hispanic leader of the department. Days after five people, including an ex-cop who's known the mayor for decades, were charged with channeling straw donations to Eric Adams' mayoral campaign, where people nominally write checks for $250, the campaign then gets $2,000 in public matching funds, and then you just slide the person a side check or money order for the $250 back. Days after that, the head of the campaign finance board, which oversees that matching fund system, the news came out from Bridget Bergen, a Gothamist, that uh, the head of the left in May, not because as the board said at the time, she had an ailing family member, but in fact, because uh, the board had asked her the weave, uh, because she'd been spending petty cash like crazy on expenses and office furniture and things like that, and otherwise freaking out the uh, staffers. That's the latest blow for an agency that prides itself on transparency. But perhaps the biggest news of the last week came last Thursday when the city council overrode a mayoral veto for the first time in a decade. That was over a package of bills the council says would keep people out of the shelter system, but the mayor says would put homeless people at the back of the line because it would help people before they became homeless and cost money that he says the city doesn't have. This is actually the first veto override of a Democratic mayor in over 30 years, and it comes as relationships between Eric Adams and unrelated council speaker Adrian Adams have hit a nadir with one source saying the two haven't spoken privately. They announced a budget together in months. Finally, one more lightning round. The long-awaited Shirley Chisholm statue finally got the okay to go up in the southeast corner of Prospect Park. There's a ridiculous Jay-Z exhibit at the Brooklyn Public Library. Eh. And Mm. we're not back to a pre-apocalyptic orange sky just yet, but... The air quality index is ticking up again, meaning it's getting worse as winds are pushing another smoke plume from Western Canada's wildfires our way. Chrissy, uh, welcome back. Where do we start? I don't know. Oh, gosh, the world's on fire. Um, And I'm sure half the New Yorkers I've talked to had to drive back into New York because they couldn't fly last week for various travel plans. So welcome to summer travel. Um, Let's start with the new police commissioner. So we've got a police officer as the mayor who just appointed Eddie Caban, who's been in the NYPD since 1991. Too bad Katie's not here. He went to St. John's, as did she. Um, There's sort of, I'm of two minds. So on the one hand, Harry, there's descriptive and substantive representation. I do think that there's something to be said about descriptive representation. This mayor has said, you know, I'm going to have like basically an all-girl band. You know, he had female police commissioner. He's got Laura Cavanaugh, who's the female fire commissioner. You know, he's making a lot of firsts, um, which 
helps open up the door for other people. And we know that, you know, once you break that glass ceiling, that first person gets a lot of shards of glass on them. Uh, But it makes it a little bit easier for the next person to like bust through the glass, um, to keep busting through the glass. So there is that descriptive piece that does matter to, I think, it, it symbolizes a lot of things to other cities. There are a lot of cities who have never had Latino leadership of any sort. Um, so I think that that makes it easier for other cities to follow suit, especially if a place like New York has done it. That being said, now you know how I feel about the NYPD, the largest paramilitary organization outside of the United States military. So do I feel comfortable having essentially two cops? Because we know that a lot of times Eric Adams thinks like a cop before he thinks like a mayor. So Eddie Caban seems like a much better fit with an Eric Adams administration than former Commissioner Sewell. She was an outsider. She's a woman in a very male-dominated organization structure. But more so, she wasn't from the NYPD. And so she didn't really have, like, she didn't have friends. She didn't have a crew. I mean, you know, we say in academia, like, did she have a rabbi? Like, who was, like, looking out for her in a way? And so this 18-month stint doesn't fully surprise me. Eddie Caban, I think, you know, if, if he and Eric Adams can have their egos in check, I think that they can possibly do great things. Will it be progressive things? No. Will it be status quo? Most likely. Will it be things that are overreached that would make me highly uncomfortable? Probably. But I think what people always forget is that, you know, it's like, oh, well, will the two of them be able to get along? Listen, they're in a paramilitary organization, so they know how to punch down and they know how to listen up. So Eddie Caban knows how to play his position. That's how you go from beat cop to whatever he was in 1991 to first Latino police commissioner. So there is a certain level of respect that I know he does have for Eric Adams. I think Eric Adams wants him to succeed. That's why he chose him. It makes him, it's a win-win for everyone. Um, for, uh, Eric Adams, right? Like, like there's all this talk about how maybe he's politically weak. Talking to his people, they're like, he, he's fine. He's solid. He just raised a ton of money very early. I mean, and they're like, there's two C's. There's crime and corruption. And if he's clear of those, there's not really a lane <laughs> for anyone to challenge him. And right. crime is what he ran on. And, and this is what, come on, the third C has got to, uh, got to help him with now. Oh, that's the title of the episode. Three C's. <laughs> crime, corruption, and cabal. But here's the thing. New Yorkers really care more about crime than corruption. So as long as Eric Adams can control the narrative about crime, the corruption piece, what is corruption? I mean, really, what do people fully understand? This country is so corrupt. We've been corrupt. I mean, like, can't build a country on free labor and say, ooh, let's talk about corruption. Like, this is this is just what we do. This is what America is. So it's like, what kind of corruption? Is it going to be that kind of in your face, it's insulting. Everybody starts going to prison type of corruption where it makes your administration look like they're a bunch of, you know, uh, degenerates. Or is it the kind of like soft corruption from the de Blasio administration where it's like, ooh, that's odd. But, you know, it's status quo corruption. So if he can sort of maintain status quo corruption and get crime down, I don't see, sure, you know, we it's like, will Jamal Bowman challenge him? That's just, we don't need all get that. Like, stop it, people. Like, this is this is where journalists read a book. Right? Read a history book. Let's not do this. Um, no diss on journalists, but stop writing these nonsensical articles. That's like, you know, when everyone's like, Oprah should be president. Cut it out. Stop it. So let's, if we're going to have good faith arguments about who's going to challenge Eric Adams from the left, let's talk about like what kind of issues they would challenge him from the left. Because right now, as long as people don't feel as though immigrants are coming to their neighborhoods and crime is down, he's good. 
you know, we've got some moped issues that, you know, are starting to like feel a little bit like squeegee issues from the Giuliani era, but like we have time also. So I think Eric Adams, again, throws out certain things that the press chases to one degree and he does a lot of things on the other hand. And I'm like, we need to be watching both hands of Eric Adams at all times. Because what he says that we sort of listen to and what he's doing are not always congruous. So that would be my my uh, request of people who are hysterical about said mayor. So what's up with this veto? Even if there's not necessarily a viable mayoral challenger coming from Eric Adams left, because that's a different electorate. A lot more people show up for that than show up just in these district-wide races. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know the progressive caucus of the council has been cut in half, mm-hmm. but the council is clearly to the left of the mayor. Um, you know, even when they did the budget, Adrian Adams is standing next to Eric Adams. And she said, you know, like gritted teeth, like yeah, it was really funeral. hard to do a deal with right here. We don't feel good yeah. about this. Yeah. You can sort of feel that tension building. And they have the votes to override Yeah, right now. Adams says it's going to cost something like $8 billion over four years. And in effect... Um, you know, there'd been this requirement Giuliani put in place that you had to be in a shelter before you could apply for these city funded vouchers to, uh, to get housed. So they wanted to end that and do a whole series of other things to expand that voucher program and add more money to it. Adams said he was going to do that one thing by executive order, which he didn't really want to do, but, uh, because he wanted to veto the whole package. He did. Now his veto has been overridden. And now Adam says, which is weird and interesting with Hochul, very weak governor that, Hey, maybe we're going to go to court over this because even though this is all city dough, it's, uh, social services are nominally overseen by the state. And so consequently, maybe the council isn't allowed to do this, Mm -hmm. but it's really hard to see that argument carrying water. It doesn't seem credible on the face of it. And significantly, the leftists in Albany have just moved the Court of Appeals significantly to the left. So in this big separation of powers issue, where they're also, by the way, looking at maybe letting them redo the maps. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, Those bogus maps. I, I don't see how Adams gets out of this corner. I don't see how he actually asserts the sort of control that the query is very important to him as a uh, governing philosophy at this point. And then if none of this works, I'm curious how he's actually going to administer as the executive this program that he is extremely clearly unhappy about. Right. Well, I think it's two things, Harry. And I love that layout. Thank you. Um, I think it's two things. One is the court and one's the court of public opinion. Yeah. And... Adams may lose in court, but he could still win in the court of public opinion. Because let's be clear, there are a lot of New Yorkers who are probably more aligned with Eric Adams on these housing vouchers than they're saying out loud. So, no, they are saying out loud on almost every issue. If you look at the polling on these things, 
right? Like, like, like New Yorkers feel pretty conservative. They feel afraid about things. Mm. They don't want to spend a ton of money helping other people. It's, it's no, it's going. austerity mode, right? Mm. I mean, like that, that's the American way. It's like, I'm feeling a little nervous about my economic circumstances. And we know people go to the polls for pocketbook issues. Like, and crime is also a pocketbook issue because it's like, well, how much money are we spending on crime? So, and a lot of people want to spend more. Um, so I think that there's a court of, there's the courts that make Eric Adams do certain things. And then there's the court of public opinion where he goes back to his city and it's like, listen, I'm trying this super progressive city council, which they are not, but the super progressive city council is like trying to, you know, essentially go back to de Blasio days, spend all this money on these, you know, vagrants um, and the framing of it all. And so I think that that's one piece Um And I think that Eric Adams and the city council, like, how do I, how do I say this? I think this mayor knows that a lot of people don't fully know what the city council does. I mean, they seem like they're antagonistic. I mean, that funeral service, that was the budget. It's like, that was just, uh, it, it was so disappointing because clearly the city council was not happy with the way things shook out. And I think they have to remember that he's got a bigger bully pulpit than they do, even though it's 51 of them. Um, but we know progressives aren't together. You know, it's like a whole bunch of squirrels, like trying to get them together on a key issue. And even when you do, and you can get this veto overridden, it's still not a cohesive narrative. And so you always have to respect the bully pulpit of the executive because theirs is always going to be louder and he gets the front page, right? So even if Adrian Adams is in the right, she's not getting the front page of any of the big papers ever. Um, And so I think that there has to be a different strategic game that they have to play, but also recognizing, as you said, New Yorkers aren't really into the more leftist policies of like helping others, especially when it seems like rough times might be rolling in. But economic rough times might be rolling in for a lot of people. Interesting that, as you were saying, the council, the Democrats on the council were pretty unhappy with this budget, and they felt like it was an austerity budget, and spending goes up by about $3.5 billion. It's interesting to me that Adams, the uh, nominal austerity mayor, has been signing off early on in his term, his first term, as one does, on raises that uh, with back pay because these mm-hmm. contracts had all wag, and that's what happens mm-hmm. in second terms, right? So, so a new mayor inherits that issue, um, and and the raises seem seem reasonable, like they're not breaking the bank. Uh, members are voting in support of them. Like on a lot of ways, this is working out. We're leaving the Medicaid advantage fight aside, mm-hmm. um, but it grabs me that the, the, the quote unquote austerity mayor is passing these things where there's no uh, no concessions of any sort. Um, in terms of like the work people have to be doing, like to the contrary, like in the teacher's contract, for instance, there's like uh, there's there's an agreement to experiment more and expand like Zoom school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like some, something's off here. Something's really off. I mean, I think we we always see this, though, with mayors, especially mayors who get two terms. I mean, and like whoever writes the comprehensive story of Bill de Blasio, I would greatly appreciate, right? Because his lack of interest in being mayor for especially his second term, I don't know if we'll 
fully ever know the extent to like how many balls were dropped. Like, I think, you know, he sort of kept the boat afloat, but that doesn't mean we went anywhere. You know, like we didn't sort of tackle some like hard things. And so I think it's always hard for someone to come in and you don't have like the Bloomberg era where you can just like pay things for out of your own pocket on some anonymous donation levels, which you know, lucky for us, post 9-11, like we had a mayor who quietly paid for a lot of things um, and did some long-term planning. I mean, not just like, let me redo Gracie Mansion, but, you know, our water, water. infrastructure. You know, Ibrahim, the late, uh, great uh, Ibrahim Abdul-Mateen, who came on the podcast years ago, um, who talked about the protection of the watershed, right? That's like unsexy mayor stuff that Bloomberg did. He did a lot of unsexy, quiet mayoral stuff that needs to be done, especially in an old city like New York that's like low-key crumbling. And and sexually, if you will, we we got gay marriage the right way when this was more mm-hmm. controversial nationally. And it was a lot more courts than than like states agreeing to do this. And in New mm-hmm. York, we we passed this through the legislature, governor signed it really the right way. And that happened, no joke, after failing previously because Bloomberg yeah. like directly paid off yeah. Legislators, a couple yeah. of whom have since worked for Bloomberg LP in right. like very nice positions. Right. Now, just as an aside, thank Harry, you, Mike. I always yeah, thanks, Mike Bloomberg. I have some issues. With, listen, I got issues with everybody, right? <laughs> <laughs> but Bloomberg did a lot of great stuff. But just as an aside, I always use the term marriage equity. I don't say gay marriage in my classes because I want my students to understand that the fight wasn't about just gay people getting married. It's like, can everyone have an equal opportunity? So it's sort of like, I don't use the word pro-life because we know Republicans aren't pro-life, right? So it's like choice and anti-choice. Are you giving a grown-ass woman the right to choose autonomy over her body or a young woman? So with marriage equity, I'm really specific about that because it's a larger conversation about equal rights and not just about gay people. I, I struggle with a lot of these terms as an editor and, you know, a writer and headline terms and what what is a fair way to describe these things with a gay marriage, civil unions, marriage equity. Um, what's important to me, pretty obviously, I was just talking with, with a friend about this who was working out whether or not to to marry their significant other, which they can now. And it's like, look, it's a contract state and it's a contract state that matters for hospital visitations, mm-hmm. for child custody, for all these so- mm-hmm, sorts of things. And and that really is, on a pretty fundamental level, it's absurd to have, you know, the government sanctifying your private relations. Um, they are they're deciding who can enter into this contract state. In my ideal world, we'd have civil unions for any two adults. And, uh, you know, whoever wants to get married by a uh, the YMCA, the Catholic Church, uh, their friend Bob, like, can go right ahead and do that. Um, but but that that is the core thing: is can people have these common rights that really matter or not? And that that's a fundamental issue of decency. With abortion, I've really struggled with those like, like what the the right terms are. So because pro-choice and pro-life, which are not equally weighted terms, but those two are right in opposition to each other. You know, for a while, I, I was working with, with variations of, of, of uh, uh, you know, pro or anti-legal abortion. Mm-hmm. But that's such an ugly, kludgy phrase that even though it's accurate and, and you know, utterly flat, and I think useful ways, because it's not mm-hmm. it's not like a term that, that, that declares your side of this. 
and I have my own side, but if you're trying to to put this flatly and cleanly and convince people who say, why can't they just tell the, uh, you know, the facts anymore, having some way of just indicating the thing you're talking about is really helpful. But if they're clunky and they're clear, then I think we need to just, I think we need to go back to sort of slowing down conversation and being clunky and clear as opposed to quick and inaccurate. You know what I'm saying? And I mean, maybe that's why I like talking in our podcast because we can we can slow things down. I mean, even though we have like 17 other issues that I want to talk to you about today. Yeah. Um, but I, I do think that that would prevent a lot of confusion. But I also think looping us back to our dear friend, Eric Adams, who everyone thinks is my best friend, and he is not. Um, but I, I do have a certain respect for A, the office of the mayoralty, and B, I have respect for people who are smart. This man's smart. Like, you may disagree with him. I disagree with him on, I'm going to say, maybe like 70 issues, 70% of issues that come in front of me. But the reason why I'm smart and I stay winning is because I can recognize when people are smart, even if I disagree with them. So for our listeners out there who want to make it their job to hate on the mayor just because, it's like, pay attention. Because this is a man who actually does play fast and loose with language. And we keep chasing language of the mayor and we're not paying attention to policy of the mayor. So he keeps throwing things out real fast. Prayer in schools, God, Jesus, you know, all the things that he says at a prayer brunch that every mayor says a prayer brunch, by the way. But we'll spend a week or two on that. It's like, focus on Rikers, focus on defunding a universal pre-K, focus on housing, focus on the real estate industry, focus on what is our environmental protection plan, focus on what's our water. I just shout out to 311, right? Um, Just as inside PSA, please get your water checked, right? We have all this stuff going on with our air. It is free. They just sent me my water kit. It took literally two minutes because that's how long you have to run your water. Um, So my issue is... For someone like Eric Adams, who strategically, I think, I think part of it is his personality, because, you know, listen, he's a wild cat. Like, I got to respect him. He's a wild cat. But he is, because he's not a lawyer, because he's not like your Dinkins, Hakeem, Corey, Brock type style, he's fast and loose with language, which we're not accustomed to, I think, with a lot of politicians. They're so measured. They're sometimes too measured. I feel like Joe Biden might be like one of our closest, you know, Democrats. And obviously Trump, who Eric Adams does mirror in many ways. Um, we focus on that and not on what is actually happening underneath this conversation. That's got to be the last word. Adam, why don't you hit us with the credits? Listener, if you want to stay tuned after that, we're going to have a little more talk about Shirley Chisholm and Jay-Z. Stay tuned. F-A-Q. This has been FAQ NYC. We're a part of the city, a nonprofit, nonpartisan newsroom dedicated to hard-hitting reporting that serves the people of New York. Our work is freely available to everyone at thecity.nyc and is supported by listeners and readers like you. Go to thecity.nyc slash give if you'd like to pitch in. We are an affiliate of NYU's McSilver Institute for Poverty, Policy, and Research and a proud member of the Brickhouse Cooperative of Independent Journalists, Critics, and Artists. Find it all at popula.com. 
Our hosts this episode were Chrissy Greer and Harry Siegel, who's also our executive producer. And I'm our engineer, Adam Kimera. Thank you, listener, for joining us and making it this far. Stick around. Here's a little more. I am happy about this Shirley Chisholm statue finally going up. Hopefully it doesn't look like her U.S. Postal Service stamp, which was a sin and a shame and embarrassment. And even the black ladies at the post office were like, look at how they do us. I was like, right, that stamp is is not indicative of Shirley Chisholm at all. Let's talk really briefly, though, before we get out of here about this Jay-Z nonsense. I am, I'm not going to say I'm enraged, but people who know me and know this podcast know that I am not a fan of Jay-Z. Yes, he's got some hits. Sure. Great. Am I still mad about Barclays? Yes. Do I find him to be one of my least favorite New Yorkers? Absolutely. So the fact that this museum is covered in Jay-Z lyrics and it's a whole celebration. I get it. He's one of Brooklyn's, I will not use a, a biggie term and say Brooklyn's finest because that's obviously I would never do that. But um, I just feel like this hagiography of this man and his wife is a bit much for me. It's a bit much. Now, will it pull people into the library? Absolutely. Am I excited about that? Yes. Do I love the fact that they have new hot library cards that everyone is going to want to collect so they will sign up to get a library card and hopefully check out some books while they're at it? Yes. Do I think it's a marketing tool for the Brooklyn Public Library? Is it genius? Low-key, it is. Do I have a white-hot disdain for Sean Carter? Yes. Yes, I do. So... That's where I am. I'm frustrated, but I'm also sneaky excited for the Brooklyn Public Library and good for them for figuring out a way to pull people in and hopefully their numbers can then convince the mayor the next time they're on the chopping block that they actually um, have the numbers to support the funding that they're asking for. I would just note that 20 years ago now, Dan, uh, when Nas and Jay-Z were going at it, he asked, you know, how many Biggie's rhymes are going to come out your fat lips? And <laughs> it's striking. Just given the 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 biggie hagiography, which is different because he passed for starters, right. and that's a real difference. Uh to see how Jay-Z is getting this uh fairly absurd shine in his own lifetime. It also cracked me up a little just when I saw the lyrics. I was zooming the picture that somebody sent me the morning they went up before it's clear what that was even about. Like, you know, there's no uh no bad words or no uh, profanity there. And uh, thinking about, you know, for, for, for interesting, I think, reasonably obvious reasons, um, thinking about who who is like culling through the lyrics and just finding like the <laughs> right. nice two and four bars. Uh-huh. You could clean right. it up. That nice, clean. I mean, listen, if I'm being very honest, the day that I decided that I could not stand Jay-Z was the day after Biggie died. And this man has the unmitigated gall and hot audacity to then say, I'm the king of Brooklyn. And I was like, I'm sorry, the body's not even cold. Who said? So you're just going to self-appoint yourself as the new king of Brooklyn and Biggie said, and you all know how I, you know how I feel about Biggie. I just, and as Justin Tinsley, guest of the podcast, has said, he's like, Chrissy, we also love Biggie because Biggie's like frozen in time, right? He's like, Biggie would have been a hyper-capitalist. Biggie possibly would have done worse things than the Barclays deal. He said it. He said he would. Like, he was really into money and at least in his lyrics. So there we are. But hey, those aren't the cards we have. The cards we have are Biggie's killed and Jay-Z appoints himself as the king of Brooklyn. And subsequently, we've got this monstrosity that has destroyed 
a Black neighborhood that will never come back. We've had him be like the puppet boy face of hyper-capitalism, which he consistently does about Barclays. I'm not even talking about the NFL. I'm not even talking about like, oh, aren't we beyond kneeling? No, Jay-Z, we're not. Because not all of us can buy a $200 million concrete house in LA to escape said racism and police brutality. So no, actually, we're not beyond kneeling. So the idea, and we also all saw Roger Goodell almost put like pat you on the head with your Basquiat cosplay and these dreadlocks you're doing right now. So I'm going to say that my disdain for Sean Carter and his hyper-capitalism, because Black capitalism is still capitalism, his hyper-capitalism that destroys Black communities is something that I will not forgive. And there are not enough library cards in the world to make me forgive him. So good on the Brooklyn Public Library. I'll support you. But I do think that this particular man, history will show how dangerous he has been to Black people. Thanks to the music but you've been a really dangerous person when it comes to policy and politics. And I don't care that you hang out with the Obamas. That means nothing. The end. The music isn't even that good. (laughs) (laughs) Let that be the epilogue. (laughs) Uh, Indeed. indeed. Adam sounds like someone's grandpa. His music's not even that good.